Hello, and welcome to episode four of Coffee, Anxiety, and Credit Card Debt, where my co-founder, co-host, and general partner in crime, Kyle, and I discuss our favorite startup stories. Today, we're talking about billion-dollar beauty brand, Glossier, which cracked the code to organic marketing, something that proves to be extremely difficult for most companies. Before we get into that, we wanted to thank all of our listeners, followers, and friends for your continued support. In addition to being the fastest growing podcast in the Western Hemisphere, we're also founders building an SEC compliant stock market for music that you can learn about at symphonymarkets.com or on Instagram and X at Symphony Markets. Thanks, Chris. So if you sign up within the next about 14 days, so ending on October 29th, you will be eligible for two Travis Scott tickets in Vegas. If you refer somebody, you also get an extra ticket into that pool. Um, so you can sign up today at symphonymarkets.com. We had 1,000 listener questions come in after our last podcast and decided to pick two to answer today. So the first is, what does it mean to buy a share on our platform? So the best way to explain it is when we go live in buying a share in an asset on our platform, you're buying the rights to collect a quarterly payment or royalty. You can hold it or you can trade it as the value increases or decreases, just like a stock. The second, who is performing at our company Christmas party in five years? Great question. Kyle's actually working on a mixtape right now titled Straight Out of Bend, Oregon. So he'll probably <laughs> perform that. Um, yeah. Anyway, onto the show. So Glossier is one of the world's leading beauty brands, a makeup skincare company that today is worth $1.8 billion. They did an estimated $180 million in revenue in 2022 and they expect to do $275 million in retail sales in 2023. They're known for their natural, simple approach to makeup and branding, and have built an online-first community that caters to younger generations of women. With millions of followers across various social platforms, they have achieved global reach as a beauty brand, unicorn status as a corporation, and have what I believe to be a great story behind them. The story starts with Emily Weiss, who seems to be a remarkable hustler. She started her career in fashion at 15 as an intern at Ralph Lauren, and then got a bunch of assistant jobs at Condé Nast, Vogue, etc. In 2010, she was working on a Vogue photo shoot in Miami. She found herself talking to Dudson Crows, who at the time was one of the highest paid models in the world. And Crows told her about this self-tanning mist that she really liked. Shortly after, Emily went to a drugstore and bought it and became a believer in the product as well. This simple interaction impressed upon her the value of genuine personal recommendation and how that could inspire people to buy things. So she started her own blog called Into the Gloss that covered the various beauty routines of yeah. fashion's elite. It is, we're going to sound like different levels of ignorance throughout this entire episode, I'm sure. Oh yeah, 100%. But for like women in marketing, it's hard to get over the, oh, you're just naturally beautiful. Mm -hmm. and, and and you get that, that with guys with sports and exercise routines and like incredibly fit guys on TikTok giving you workout advice. Mm -hmm. It's like, how much of that is actually because of the routine and how much of it is because you're a genetic freak? And yeah. so, and this is obviously where like marketing is going is, is that personal kind of touch on things. There's definitely a corollary there. And I think it's starting to come to light as like influencers were building those brands in the early 2010s. Yeah. And now they're turning those brands into being like, oh wait, I can actually like capitalize off this and make real money. Yeah. It's, it's interesting to see how that's evolved in marketing. That's, that's interesting. So that kind of leads into this part where during her time working as a fashion assistant, 
she began to see that different fashion brands had trouble connecting with millennial consumers because, you know, a lot of millennial consumers could see that, right? They could see that the current content that was being put out by these major brands just had no, uh, it was inaccessible, right? Yeah. Not everyone is a supermodel. So as different forms of social media became more and more popular as a way to reach consumers, she explains that the beauty brand she had spoke to had no intention of hiring people to lean into the potential of social media and understanding their their consumers in that way because that's insane right because they were but people were buying the stuff anyway so by 2013 her blog into the gloss was generating 8.5 million page views per month she had over 120,000 followers across social media and she figured it was time to expand and monetize the audience she had built she wanted to launch with four products she said she needed about one million dollars to do it so she went to VC funding. And out of the 12 funds she pitched, she was reportedly turned down by 11. But Kirsten Green, however, Forerunner Ventures, was a believer. Her fund, along with Lara Hippo and a few angels, seeded Glossier with $2 million to help them transform from a blog to a beauty company. I'm going to talk about this because kind of what you were talking about, right? Like most people in a space like this would become an influencer. You have a blog with millions of views. You have hundreds of thousands of followers. Brands are probably constantly knocking on your door to do partnerships for tons of money, turning you into an, an ambassador, right? But she decided right. to be a CEO, go get funding, yeah. build a company. You have a massive opportunity too. The global skincare market was valued at almost 150 billion in 2021. Expected yeah. to grow to 273 billion by 2030 with the Kager of 6.7 percent, which is which is yeah. crazy. I think that's fascinating. Like there are a few people I can think of who have also done this, but even then, right, the business is kind of still their brand. Like Mr. Beast, for instance, is yeah, is a, that's the exact analogy that I was going to use with him and chocolate. Yeah. The easy route, like you said, would have been to be a pimp for these makeup brands and things like that, but the true i don't want to say money but the control and like being able to actually do whatever you want only comes from her starting her own makeup brands because it starts out like yeah we want to build a partnership and we want to you know have you promote our products but i'm sure eventually it transitions to them emailing you a script that you say before every single video and like being very particular in how you promote their brands mm -hmm. and if those companies didn't even want to do social media in the first place it's like they have no idea what like yeah. a millennial is wants to hear or is talking about or or things like that so it's super smart i mean incredibly smart on her move for just making her own thing and and you know kind of pitching it however she wanted yeah smart and ambitious she's quoted saying this she said she has no formal business background has worked as assistants and interns across various levels in the in the fashion space, obviously working yeah. her way up into more prominent spaces, but still in the fashion space. She went to art school, right? No MBA, nothing like that. Yeah. Which again, there's nothing wrong with that, right? Like the founders of Airbnb went to design school, but then she goes to VC funding where that's what they look for. They look for MBAs. Right. They look for, you know, previous yeah, but I mean, she came in with an audience of a million already. Yeah. Right. And so like, if you're a VC with your head on straight, it's like, oh, we've got the marketing handled, like mm -hmm. in the distribution handled. It's just about creating a product that these people can buy. Mm -hmm. And so I think that's what a VC is built for. Is that's like a good point. Creating kind of that back office stuff. 
Because if you go to them with a plan of like how you're going to acquire users, then you've never done that before. They're questionable on it. But if you already yeah. have the users, then it's incredible. So why do you think all, almost all but a couple investors said no? Do you think it's just not enough faith in the beauty industry or probably just a mix of that and then also her chops as a founder? It, was it just her or did she have a co-founder that she had brought on board? Or I know her team was relatively small when they started. No, they didn't have an office space. She needed to hire what in this case would be a technical co-founder in the form of a chemist to, to start developing uh, the products and stuff. I wonder if the ingredients from product to product are truly that different or if it's like there's just new labels slapped on existing things and then they, they kind of market it in a different way. Like a lot of people do drop shipping, which is they just buy products from China and then throw their own logo and, and yeah. marketing spin on it. I wonder if, if that kind of happens in the makeup industry. I would be shocked to learn that it doesn't happen. I bet it does. Yeah. There's a lot of but, white labeling that goes on for sure. Yeah. Yeah. As to why she got denied by VCs, I mean, who knows? They yeah. make up stuff all the time. So they do. I mean, and that was when like it was pretty rare to be a female founder too. I mean, Definitely, now it's yeah. you have entire funds devoted to funding female mm -hmm. and non-traditional white male founders. And so yeah. maybe she faced discrimination in that sense too. Like who's yeah. this non-business sure. woman coming in here? That and then also like we hear so often about how important vision is. It's like a combination of vision and unique insight. And like she right. had... A unique insight but unique insight in that she's spoken to the largest brand she knows what they're not doing she's already validated it through all of her users or customers and stuff like that and, and leverage that into a business but that being said she took the funding obviously launched a new website hired a chemist which i think is so it's just like a cool title how do you uh, put that on a linkedin yeah like job posting chem chemist yeah. i met somebody recently who was like a biomechanical engineer or something like that. She was like, yeah, no, I, I, I make makeup at a, I think she works at like Estee Lauder, but I was like, that's so interesting. Cause when I hear chemistry, that's not what I think of, but it's, it's super cool. Um, basically I hired a chemist, got off his space and debuted in October of 2014 with four products, a soothing face mist, priming moisturizer, a bomb called bomb.com and uh, perfecting skin tint foundation. I don't know what any of that is, but my girlfriend likes some of those. But the products themselves supposedly weren't super extraordinary, but the branding was. So the packaging yeah. was minimalist. Customer orders are sent in pink bubble wrap pouches, which kind of became like a staple of the brand. A lot of people would reuse like them fun. as toiletry bags and stuff. Yeah, and they're fun. Yeah, like fun. He, yeah, it's like you you do these what is unboxing videos and stuff, right? And you pull oh, up the that's thing, huge, yeah, right. It's like such yeah. it's just such great organic marketing. There's a little, and, there's a little ASMR in there as well. When they're exactly, like the bags and that. Yeah, I I get off on that. I'm not gonna lie. <laughs> <laughs> exactly right. They were thinking about this in all of the right ways, and they had two taglines that that stuck with consumers. The first was skin first, makeup second, smile always. And then the second that stuck was you look good. I've seen that a lot actually on sweatshirts and stuff like that. Like the you look good. The last decade or so has been the first time that women have straight white male speaking here yeah. <laughs> from the Pacific Northwest that yeah. had like a, like a positive, like you are beautiful messaging mm -hmm. in advertising. Like before it was just like, you are not good enough and like almost degrading if you don't buy our product. Mm -hmm. And now it's like, no, come as you are yeah. and, you know, improve how you see fit. Like we want mm -hmm. to help. We're not here to shame you. 
Yeah, which is awesome. Yeah, that's a great point. And that that's like the whole thing. The whole thing was about building the image of the Glacier girl, which is like, like everyone is the same in some form or fashion, right? Like this is right. the brand is about helping you be your most beautiful self as opposed to becoming more beautiful when you use the product. It was about like highlighting like what you have already. Yeah. And I thought that was really cool. And that was achieved by building products for Instagram, either to be posted or used in hashtags. They had products like Halo Scope and Boy Brow that were like literally named to be used as hashtags. So when people would use them, wow. they would hashtag Boy Brow or whatever. And then they also opened brick and mortar stores that were designed to be posted on Instagram, which is so smart. Like when you're in LA, like the, the Glossier store is this huge they have like all this huge like signage people right. are always taking pictures outside of it the user really just like becomes the advertising at that point and it's so the, interesting right it's the best way to create organic network effect for free essentially yeah that's really interesting i this is kind of tangential but i've mm -hmm. i just finished a hard thing about hard things mm -hmm. it's a book by ben horowitz he is a he worked on netscape which was one of the first browsers. But anyways, he talked about in that book how every company has like a unique thing that's unique to them. And mm -hmm. he used the example of at A16Z, if a partner is late to a meeting with an entrepreneur, they get charged $10 for every minute that they're late. Because when he was raising money, he found that a lot of VCs wouldn't respect his time and would show up mm -hmm. late having not done any kind of diligence or anything like that. And so he wanted to instill that into his culture of being kind to entrepreneurs and like welcoming them. And then he also mm -hmm. gave the example of Bezos. Bezos's desks at Amazon are all these like door frames and doors mm -hmm. that you go buy at Home Depot and then they just make them into a desk. Jeff had a thing which was there are two types of companies in the world. There's the company that fights to charge their customers more. And then there's companies that fight to charge their customers less. Mm -hmm. And he's like, we're going to be a company that fights to to charge our customers less. And so that doorframe mm -hmm. thing, he wanted that like instilled in the culture. That's pretty and the cool. The whole social media, like being at a core part of who Glossier is, is really interesting. Everything is kind of designed to be shareable and social. Like it's ingrained into their products of like, you know, this is this is meant for everybody, and and we want people to market it that way. Mm -hmm. so it's pretty cool. Yeah, no, it's very cool. And when you look at their Instagram now, there's more product than there used to be. But before it didn't used to be that way. It was much less product. It was more um, aesthetic, right? And like, just yeah. like cool things, a lot of pink. Supposedly they would take pictures of like bathrooms that they thought looked cool and stuff like that. Oh, yeah. Yeah, but now, right, it does feature the product, but there's still a balance of aesthetic and e-commerce. There's a lot of people, still a lot of pink and I, I don't like using this word in this way, but just vibes, you know? Yeah, <laughs> like, I know what you're saying. Yeah. yeah. Culture, um, you can like smell the culture in it. Exactly. And obviously, right, they leverage different influencers, but you pay one person for exposure to millions with products like these that are built to be shown off and talked about. It's just like the perfect marriage. The Glossier is built for influencers. It's built for social media um, in every in every sense of the way. And this is something that I think is super fascinating because I can only think of a few other companies that do this like really, really well. The first is Starbucks. I think they've done a really good job of showing off their product in a way that doesn't even yeah. show off their product. The misspelling of the names on cups is that's like a marketing. Oh, uh, yeah. 
Is it really? Or did they yeah. them? They, they I think that, that in the beginning, it wasn't like people were just getting their names misspelled. But once they noticed that people were taking pictures of that and sharing it on social media, it was giving them so much exposure, right? A lot, so many eyeballs. So then they began to kind of implement that as a strategy. Did you, did you know that Starbucks as a bank, like the money that they have sitting in the Starbucks app is like one of the top 10 or 15 banks what? in the United States? Yeah. How <laughs> much money insane. they make off, how much money they make off the interest that is sitting in the Starbucks app. It's like a top 10 or 15 bank in the United States. Oh my goodness. Yeah. Cause people will just like throw money in there and then just like not touch it for weeks. And so they take that mm -hmm. money and then they go and make whatever bets, try buy treasury yeah. bonds or whatever they do. Mm -hmm. And they make an absurd amount of money off just the interest in the Starbucks app. That is literally, that is so crazy. Yeah. That's so cool though. <laughs> right. It like, is pretty cool. Yeah. Yeah. That's so cool. Yeah. Spotify is another one that I'm like, Spotify wrapped is such a, a brilliant marketing scheme to me. Oh yeah. That's super smart. I love yeah. it. It's so good. And then you talk a lot about Twitter pages that you like. Like I think you really like like the Wendy's. Is that what it is? Yeah, I do. Yeah. yeah. The Wendy's one. It's like it like toes the line. Wendy's toes the line of like borderline HR violations. <laughs> and like, okay, we can like we can run with this from marketing. But you really have to understand who your audience is and who you're talking to. And Wendy's is like I don't know, maybe it's like changed, but I think of Wendy's as like something that high schoolers Mm -hmm. go and get right and i think taco bell was that same thing when i was in high school which i wasn't on the basketball team but the entire basketball team like loved taco bell they like had like great sports marketing and and they were all over the nba mm -hmm. and so the basketball team would have like team dinners where they would just go to taco bell the night before games wow and i just yeah <laughs> i know right? like a great way food. to lose yeah <laughs> 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 yeah it, i don't know they, they just nailed exactly who their audience is and yeah. and just just garnered attention That's so awesome. yeah wendy's does that on twitter where they kind of like are really heavily in like the gaming circles and the meme mm -hmm. culture and so it's interesting to see that's perfect. And like the fact that it's just such a huge brand. You, it's like when you first hear like a teacher, like a professor make a, a dirty joke. You know what I mean? It catches yeah. you by surprise, but it's hilarious yeah. because it's your teacher. Yeah. They are a person. Yeah, They're exactly. <laughs> yeah. Exactly. Yeah. You see uh, them like in the store and you're like, whoa, yeah. dude, whoa. what are you doing out here? <laughs> but yeah. So this like marketing approach is fascinating because leveraging influencers as a sales channel actually almost got them in trouble. They had secured more funding every couple of years and obviously spent it a lot on marketing. The ads were everywhere. They were leaning heavily into influencer partnerships. And in 2017, the Federal Trade Commission actually sent letters to almost 100 Instagram influencers and marketers looking to educate them, quote unquote, on their responsibility to be clear about whether or not they received payment to promote their products, which... Oh, yeah almost threw a wrench in the plan because the concern became that creators telling their following which brands are paying them to talk about product takes the authenticity out of the post but the following yeah. didn't care right like the brand was was yeah. too strong yeah that was big on youtube for a long mm -hmm. time at least in the circles that i watched was they would mm -hmm. do like brand promotions yeah. and not disclose well they, i don't know they were all like 17 18 year olds like they didn't know yeah that you legally had to like disclose that you were getting money from brands. So I get it. I don't know. Do you care when somebody says it's like a paid promotion? 
No, it's like the yeah. That's what I'm saying. Like the brand is too strong. If I like the brand, then yeah, I'm kind of at the point where like if I hear my favorite podcast or favorite like YouTuber doing a uh, an ad read, I'm like, dude, go get your bag. Like I don't mm -hmm. care. Like yeah. I love the content that you put out. I really don't. It doesn't matter to me. But there mm -hmm. used to be a stigma at least in the communities I was in was like, you were supposed to create the content because you loved creating the content mm -hmm. and not because you were doing it to get paid. Yeah. And now I think as that generation has gotten older and like kind of flipped their minds, I think that we all recognize that you should be getting paid for, because it's yeah. real work. Like it's, it's exactly work that you're putting in and, and things like it that. It is. It is. And to that end, right. Influencers began to publicly announce brand partnerships. Like they were, like they were getting drafted by the NFL or the NBA. You know what I mean? Wow. At this point, yeah. brand deals are thought of as a status symbol and they still kind of, of are. So yeah. Glossier partnerships are huge in the fashion like industry, right? Like all Estee Lauder partnerships, L'Oreal partnerships, all of these different things are really, really big. And if you have a following that cares about you and you've created content for them on a consistent basis and you built that trust, they're happy to see that, you know, brands are supporting you. Right. And that's yeah. like, and that's the thing, like you said, like you, now everyone's kind of like, oh, wow, they're finally getting a bag for all this work that they're doing. Yeah. Because in, in, in a way, like in order to get there, you have to be creating free value, like into the gloss. Like she was just basically giving free promo to all of these brands that fashion elite were using. And now she's, you know, obviously she has her own thing, but she, like we said earlier, she could have definitely gone the other way and like okay i've i've gotten i've generated all this revenue for you guys i should be seeing a piece of it it's yeah cool. and taking like a, a five or ten percent tithe on whatever they sell through her channels yeah yeah and she would have made a lot of money for sure but yeah you know. but now she's a billionaire so. exactly <laughs> uh so a few years later gen z gravitates toward more relatable online self-presentation which makes a shift from aspirational aesthetics popularized by glossier to more natural honest, transparent, like living. So the idea of making Instagram casual emerged and people flock to it kind of like the intention behind Be Real. I know you're a fan of Be Real. I wanted to ask <laughs> what, I had a Be Real for a You're second. not real dog? You don't like to I, be real? You're not real? <laughs> exactly. I, I get it, right? I just want to hear from your, your standpoint, like why do you like that? What about that is like your preference of social media? It's genuine. That's what I, mm -hmm. I mean, it's as genuine I think as like you could make social media, it's like what you're actually doing. And like, I used to have an Instagram, I used to have Facebook, but being on those platforms, it like makes me feel bad about who I am as a person. Like, especially mm -hmm. Instagram especially does because it's mm -hmm. like literally just a photo and it's so curated as to what you want to put out there as for who you are. Mm -hmm. And on be real, it's like, oh, we're all kind of like living the same life. But yeah. just like at different like levels of society, but it's like all mm -hmm. we're all doing the same things. 40% of people are just in an office taking a picture, like doing, looking at the same yeah. window or the same wall every day. And it like makes me it doesn't make me feel bad for what I'm doing, whereas mm -hmm. the other social media platforms do. And there's also like the two way camera. So it takes a, a, a picture going forward and a picture using the selfie one. Mm -hmm. So you get context about like the environment a little bit, as opposed to just like what's looking one direction and you, you get more than just that frame, mm -hmm. um, which I think is like important. And then you have to post in order to see other people's content. 
So you can't just like lurk and not contribute. You have mm-hmm. to be involved in the community if you want to kind of consume. And mm-hmm. a lot of internet, you can just get into a death scroll. Where yeah. like on Be Real, it's like there's no incentive to do a death scroll. Like mm-hmm. there's no what is it like shorts or like um, reels or anything like that. It's just like oh, I just want to see what my friend actually did today. Yeah. As opposed to like the highlights of the past 10 years of their life that make me feel like I'm poor or not beautiful. So. Mm-hmm. Well, I think you're beautiful. and <laughs> But that's a good point. I think like the idea of casual social media is something that a lot of people aspire to, but not many people are good at because of whatever reason. They feel like they got to look a certain way or post certain content and stuff like that. And I imagine that that's like really anxiety inducing. Every time you post, you always see people getting on social media and like refreshing to see likes like immediately after they post and yeah. stuff like that. It's um, dopamine. It's actually, yeah. I'm really happy that Facebook removed like accounts mm-hmm. and on Instagram, especially because dude, I mean, I'm a guy and I would like worry about how many likes my stuff got. I can't imagine what it's like to be like a girl in her, like I have a niece who's mm-hmm. 14 and I can't imagine what she goes through, like looking yeah. at social media and completely unrealistic standards that mm-hmm. women, like a lot of women post. And I'm yeah. women that I, I've never met a woman that looks like that in my entire life, mm-hmm. let alone like a 14 year old who's worried about the boy that she rides the bus home with and what he thinks of her. Yeah. And yeah, it, it just must just be so much anxiety around that and not mm-hmm. feeling like you're good enough. It, to me, there's this cognitive dissonance that happens where you know that people don't look like that. You know that like it's curated, yeah. but still it gets to you in that like, thankfully I'm not super tied to my social media, but I, I see it in my friends and family. And, you know, I know people who, you know, delete their, their socials every other week um, because it just gets to be a lot. Yeah, And I wonder if there's a way to kind of get away from that and create a more genuine space yeah. at the scale of Instagram, right? Where you can have thousands of followers or follow thousands of people that you may or may not know, but not have it impact you in like that type yeah. of way. I really like, have you ever used Nextdoor? No. So it's a social media for like your local communities. Oh, so wow. when you, you sign up and you register like your address and where you live, and then mm-hmm. they, the people that you're talking to are all people in your region or city or neighborhood or something like that. Mm-hmm. Dude, it is, it is a mixed bag of characters. Oh, really? I'll tell you that. <laughs> yeah. sure. It is some of the funniest posts you'll ever yeah. see your entire life. Like that's hilarious. I, like you'll get like the elderly guy who's like, mm-hmm. Oh, the trash man came by and spilt my trash all over the road again. <laughs> like, like the person that's like looking for something mm-hmm. or, you know, they see something, say something is really big. So like, mm-hmm. like a local community and it's a really cool experience. I just don't know how you make a, I don't know how, I mean, all of Facebook's products have over like a billion users. I don't know how you yeah. get something like that. There's just yeah. not enough dopamine involved. I don't think. What's, what's your favorite social media app? Do you think it's be real? No, or next door. I, that's Twitter. my, yeah, I spend yeah. too much time on Twitter. Tech Twitter is like so entertaining and it's mm-hmm. just like, if you follow the right people, you can make it super entertaining. Yeah. That's my vice. I'll say I, I shouldn't be in that arena. 
yeah but i, I get it i am so no i get it there's no i mean i feel you it's addicting and like that means that they're doing their job it means that they built a good product yeah um and Reddit my favorite too, yeah. a lot of time on Reddit. <laughs> my favorite and it's not even like really a social media app but it, i use it like one is ring do you have a ring doorbell no i don't so let me tell you about this so i know it is but i don't yeah. know i don't know that they had an app exactly so when i i got one last year because i needed a doorbell on my house and my girlfriend was just like you know you should have some form of security because i was living in an area in in los angeles where my food would get stolen a lot you know people would be screaming outside my doors so i got a ring doorbell and there's a community section like on the ring app where you can see yeah. other people post wild things that are happening like around there, around really? like the neighborhood. Yeah. Someone What's like had an example. <laughs> so you see everything from like, I don't know. And to be clear, never do I ever, ever wish misfortune on another human being in this way. Right. Like I, I don't, I don't like that there's crime happening, but you see everything from like bicycles getting stolen, packages getting stolen, graffiti to right. one time. But then there also there's like, I don't know, you see people post about missing dogs or like different yeah. stuff like that. There's like a catalytic converter theft problem in LA for a really oh, long no. time. Really? Yeah. So like I've every- I've never heard about that. I, yeah. But you, I would see it happen. Oh, right? like really? Because people, people would capture it and <laughs> post it, right? And then one time, this is the wildest. It was a 30-minute recording. It maybe broke it, like 30 minutes broken up into like eight minute or whatever, how, however yeah. long the intervals were, of a fight. So a, a lady oh my goodness. Would like, was like parked in front of, a, of someone else's car, like in their driveway and like had her hazards on and like went across the street to, to pick something up or so. I don't know what she was doing, but basically she was in there for a long time. The lady in the house that was, that had the car blocked in came out and starts yelling at this other lady and starts like kicking the car and they start fighting. Then the lady runs inside and then you see, and again, you only have one angle, right? So like then you see the lady run yeah. past the camera. And then you see the other lady run inside. And then all of a sudden you see someone getting pulled out by their hair. <laughs> and then the police show up. It was like, it was literally it. like a 30 minute, it was a movie, but it's my favorite. I, I spend so much time just kind of like scrolling to see like what's going on. People have found like dogs by posting on that. People have found pets. People have oh, yeah. found. I had a, yeah, um, all that stuff. well, not on ring, but my somebody kicked my motorcycle over like what? i parked it downtown mm -hmm. yeah this dude was hammered drunk and he was like stumbling home and he was angry at whatever and he yeah. just kicked my motorcycle over and then somebody that i know saw him do it and like mm -hmm. ran him down and took some pictures of him posted it on next door and was like if anybody knows who this person is like contact the police yeah and no one like knew who it was and i have like pictures of the guy and my yeah. motorcycle's still screwed like the clutch lever is bent and the Damn. shifter is bent in like you can't even shift out of first gear but yeah it, it was uh it's cool that you there's stuff like that so you can get in mm -hmm. touch with people that have like been wronged and mm -hmm. and and restore some kind of justice but yeah, yeah. sorry that that happened when i come to no, Oregon, we can we can track them down <laughs> so to wrap up the episode in 2021, they reach a valuation of 1.8 billion 
after they raise an $80 million Series E led by Lone Pine with participation from Sequoia, Forerunner, Thrive, and Index Ventures. And in 2022, in response to declining performance, uh, too much money out, not enough in, and pressure from investors, they laid off 80 people, which is a third of their staff. So they explained that they had made a mistake in focusing too much on prioritizing brand expansion and development rather than customer acquisition. So they, yeah, they must have used that money to pay influencers then. Yeah. They must have used most of that money to pay influencers. Yeah, because I was doing the math. I was like, you raise 80 million and you only have 240 people employed. That that, that seems like a lot. They were spending a lot of money on marketing, which is core to their business, but also they spent a lot of money on uh, like brand development and like different product lines like Glossier Play. They launched in 2019 and that featured new products, but it didn't really land with people. And then they had like other different lines that just didn't really land. I think the sentiment was that they were losing touch with their customers. Yeah. And that led to kind of like a reeling back and in, in rethinking strategy. So I would love to to talk to the CEO and, and understand why she didn't sell sooner. I'm sure yeah. she had offers from the yeah. larger corporations, but like what she must have been really value focused or maybe one of them wronged her in some way in the yeah. beginning and she wanted to take yeah. him over. But yeah. I'd, I'd love to just learn why she didn't have, a, have an exit sooner. That was like, yeah. what, seven, eight years after she started. And yeah, I'll, I'll text her after this and, and ask her yeah. um, to come yeah. on the next episode. Um, but smart. I would imagine that she was super value focused. I also think that everything that's, that the company had become at that point was what she had envisioned. And mm-hmm. I would imagine, yeah. yeah, and I would imagine all of the success was built on the back of like her insight, her thesis was just, you know, people want organic stuff that makes them feel good and like that they can yep. connect with. And that came with a bunch of different things, right? That's like just all of the non-traditional routes that they took from organic marketing to staying out of wholesalers like Sephora. You're just really handling and, and commanding control over the customer experience. It wasn't just about getting the product and putting it in front of people. It was about making sure that, you know, you understood what they want and then building the product around it. I would imagine that they, she probably did get a lot of pressure for investors to kind of like think about what the next thing was beyond that to, to kind of, I don't know, put some gas behind the growth. And maybe that's what led to, you know, more experimental efforts like the play line and other things like that, that, that kind of drew away from the focus of being a brand fueled by your customers. Uh, but that happened. And in May of 2022, she left and they brought in a new CEO in Kyle Leahy. I don't know if it's Kyle or Keely, who came from the shoe brand Cole Haan. Uh, she hoped to scale the company to meet investor expectations and justify the billion dollar valuation. The most notable move arguably came this year where Glossier partnered with Sephora, making their product available in their stores, which is big because up until then, Emily Weiss had opposed wholesale, like like we just said, mm-hmm. because of a lack of creative control as it relates to customer experience. Yeah, um, it's kind of interesting. They had a fun time CEO and then they had a wartime CEO yeah, come in after they couldn't, couldn't spend any unlimited amounts of dollars anymore um, yeah. on things. Yeah, that's a, that's a good point. Um, but yeah, after months of slow growth, they saw a 26% increase in growth in the second half of 2022, and its Q4 sales were the largest in company history. So it sounds like after bringing in Leahy, uh, they're, they're back on track. 